Get out your Bible and turn it on and turn with me to the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 2, starting verse 1 through 5. Nehemiah chapter 2, 1 through 5. As way of introduction, the book of Nehemiah is one of the history books of the Bible. It contains the story of Israel's return from Babylonian captivity and the rebuilding of Jerusalem and the temple. Nehemiah was a Hebrew slave that God had raised up in Babylon. Did you know that Babylon is today modern-day Iraq and Iran? And so even today, we see Christians that are in that area that are trying to stay right with God. And Nehemiah was a Hebrew slave that God had raised up in Babylon, and he was in a very high and prominent position. Nehemiah was the official cup-bearer to the king. And what that job entailed was Nehemiah would drink the king's drink and eat the king's food first. And then the king would wait to see if Nehemiah fell over dead. And if Nehemiah died, the king would not eat the food knowing it was poison. So you could see it was a very high and prominent position. It was a very trusted position. And when he is in the palace, word reaches Nehemiah that his city that he loves with all his heart is in ruins and in need of repair. So Nehemiah begins to pray, and he begins to fast. The book of Nehemiah can be summed up by saying, Nehemiah sees a problem, recognizes his unique position and purpose, and then he invites God to use him to save a city. Hear it again. Nehemiah sees a problem. He recognizes his unique position and purpose that God has placed him in. And then he invites him. He invites God to use him to save a city. Follow along now as I read Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. Nehemiah is speaking. I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid. But I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Well, then the king said to me, what is it that you want? Well, then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king. If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Scroll down now to verse 8. And Nehemiah says, and because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my request. And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my request. Friend, how you pray determines what kind of life you live. If you pray small, ordinary, get-by prayers, you're going to lead a small, ordinary, get-by life. If you are a member or a part of a church that only prays small, ordinary prayers, then you're going to have a church that lives a small, ordinary, get-by life. But when you have the boldness to ask God to fulfill his will in your life, then you must begin, him, begin to ask him to open doors that might otherwise never open. 
You ask him for the favor to take you further than anyone in your family, even if you don't have the education or the prowess. You say, Lord, I'm asking for a favor to take me further than anyone in my family. You begin to ask him to do the unthinkable. You begin to ask him for the impossible. When you pray the prayer of favor and you get into the presence of God, you begin to see the greatness of God's power in your life. Now in chapter 1, Nehemiah comes to the understanding of why he is in the position he is in. It is for the glory of God to rebuild Jerusalem. And he understood, if I just live in the luxury of the palace, then I will miss my purpose. And I've missed, my whole I've missed the whole point of my position. Purpose and position. Purpose and position. I want you to say that with me. Purpose and position. Say it again. Purpose and position. That's going to take on tremendous significance in just a moment. So Nehemiah begins to pray and he begins to fast in chapter 1. In fact, Nehemiah 1.1 says that Nehemiah prayed night and day that something could be done to aid Jerusalem. Now, during this period, Nehemiah diligently tried to maintain his customary happy appearance. However, great grief finally became evident in his appearance. It was contrary to court behavior for a servant to appear sad. See, being sad in the presence of the Persian king or the Babylonian king was a serious offense in Persia. And you read that in Esther chapter 4 and verse 2. And the reason it's a bad offense is believed to be a bad reflection back on the king. After all, if you are sad, the king thinks that's a bad reflection on me. I must be ruling poorly. So everyone at court was always happy and jovial. They always wore a mask. Masking their true feelings and emotions. No one wanted the king to know that something was wrong. And besides that, Nehemiah was well aware that the request which he would ultimately make of the king might indeed anger him. So at court, everybody pretended everything is wonderful. I could preach a whole series of messages on the mask that we wear every day. The mask that we wear. The one that we put on when we're walking into the office. And the mask that we wear when we walk into the house, because God forbid we don't want our spouse to know anything that is troubling us. And the mask that we wear when we walk into church on Sunday and someone says, how you do? I'm blessed. Oh, I'm blessed. But you don't want anybody to know the turbulence and the strife. The mask that we wear. And Nehemiah begins to pray. And the Bible tells us that Nehemiah was four months in preparation of fasting and praying before he even approaches the king. Look at verse 4. The king said to me, what is it that you want? Well, then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king. Now, friend, this is what we call a quick 10-second or 4-second let's go God prayer. The preparation had already taken place months earlier, and now he's standing before the king, and it's a let's go God prayer. You know exactly what a let's go God prayer is. A let's go God prayer is like I mentioned this morning when you're walking across the parking lot into the hospital to see if the MRI told you you have cancer, and you're pushing the button in the elevator, and you bow your head and say, let's go God, let's go. Or you're up for that great promotion, and you're again walking into the boss's office, and this is the day that they're going to tell you if you got it or you didn't. 
And just before you walk into his office, you bow your head in your cubicle and you say, let's go, God. Let's go. Or possibly you're a college student and it's finals week. And your whole grade point average is resting upon this last final. And you have been struggling and struggling and praying and asking God for help. You bow your head just before you take that final and you say, let's go, God. Let's go. How many know what a let's go, God prayer is all about? Let me tell you, let's go, God prayers really work good. They, they are awesome if they've been backed up by four months of preparation. I'll hear it again. Let's go, God prayers are amazing. They're awesome if they've been backed up like Nehemiah with four months of preparation. In other words, you just can't toss it up there and just hope that God begins to move at that time. And he said, let's go, God. Point number one, the prayer for favor opens closed doors. Say that with me. The prayer for favor opens closed doors. Say it again. The prayer of favor opens closed doors. In all the wonderful things that God did for the children of Israel, there are few things any more astounding than this. A more daring request was never made, except possibly the request by Queen Esther some several years earlier when she asked her husband to save the nation, as her crazy uncle said to her, for such a time as this, that God has saved you. Many commentaries that I read said that when Nehemiah walks in, he said the king and the queen were sitting there in a private meeting. Many theologians I read said they believe the time frame fits that it was Queen Esther herself that is sitting there when Nehemiah walks in the room. And it's almost like she looks over. I can see in my mind, she looks over and gives him the, what's up? Knowing what's about to come. And he walks in, and he's about to give a daring request. And it's very daring because it had only been a few years since Artaxerxes, the king of Babylon, had commissioned Rahim and Shemshay to bring a stop to the rebuilding and the fortifying of Jerusalem. And you read that in Ezra chapter 4, verse 8 through 23. Remember, Jerusalem was conquered and destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. And now Artaxerxes is the king of Babylon. He has been after Nebuchadnezzar. That a Persian king should reverse any former decision was unheard of. They considered themselves gods. And to have a Persian king now restore a, a city that was destroyed by his ancestor would make him look weak in the eyes of the nation. He'd be the weak link. But now for Nehemiah, he sends him accompanied by a full military escort with full authority to reconstruct the walls and fortify a city of Jerusalem that his ancestors have destroyed. A city that the Babylonians have conquered. He allows to rebuild it. Only the king of kings, only the God of heaven could cause something like this to happen. See, say with me very loud, the prayer for favor opens closed doors. Are you ready? The prayer for favor opens closed doors. Say it again. The prayer for favor opens closed doors. God's hand was on Nehemiah for a divine purpose to fulfill prophecy. But let me give you the insight into how the favor of God works. Because the favor of God was on Nehemiah again to fulfill prophecy. So you must realize that the first Palm Sunday was a day not like any other day in the history of the world. It was a day of incredible prophetic fulfillment. 
And I want you to pay very close attention because I'm going to show you prophetically how Nehemiah and Daniel fit into Scripture and the favor of God, how it works in your life and mine. The first Palm Sunday was a day of lamb selection. Palm Sunday for the Jews was a day of lamb selection. It was the day that the lambs were selected for the Passover celebration. The very day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey was a day of amazing prophetic fulfillment. Understand that Daniel's prophecy of 69 weeks of years until the Messiah would be revealed was being fulfilled that first Palm Sunday with absolute precision. Now the math of this prophetic fulfillment is amazing. So hold your finger here in Nehemiah and go with me to the book of Daniel Daniel chapter 9 and verse 25, because when you begin to see what really is happening in Nehemiah's life, it'll blow your mind. There's a prophetic word that is given to Daniel, and Daniel prophesies that there will be a day when the Messiah is going to be revealed, and he tells us precisely when it's going to happen. Daniel chapter 9, verse 25, know and understand this from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. So that's the first key. There's going to come a command that will go forth to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. Until the anointed one, Messiah, the ruler comes, there'll be seven sevens and 62 sevens. It'll be rebuilt with a trench, but in times of trouble. Now, these weeks that we just read about are not weeks of years, or weeks of, of years, excuse me, are not weeks of seven days, but rather are weeks of years. Understand, these weeks we just read about are not weeks of seven days, but rather are weeks of years which is the Hebrews' way of marking time. Now, in simple terms, here's what Daniel is saying. From the day that the command to rebuild Jerusalem to the time that the Messiah is going to be revealed, it'll be a period of 483 years. Now, biblical chronology is based on 360 days, not 365 days in a year. Again, their days are based on ecclesiastical calendar. Ours is on a lunar calendar. So, Let's see how important this really is. There are 360 days in biblical chronology. Let's stop and do the math. 483 years times 360 days, that is 173,880 days. So Daniel is essentially saying prophetically that in 173,880 days, the Messiah, the prince, will be revealed. After, there will be a declaration to build and rebuild Jerusalem. Now, both history... And scripture give us the next piece of the puzzle. History and scripture tell us that on March 14th, 445 B.C., King Artaxerxes of Persia gave the decree to rebuild Jerusalem. And we just read that in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1 through 5. Why did he do that? Because an Israelite slave working in his palace came to him and said, If it pleases the king... And if your servant has found favor in his sight, then let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Remember, Daniel says Jerusalem will be rebuilt in a, with a trench around it, but in times of trouble. The prayer of favor opens closed doors. Now let's add it all up and make a mathematical equation to see the favor of God. March 14th, 445 B.C., the day Artaxerxes of Persia granted Nehemiah's request and gave the decree to rebuild Jerusalem. Remember, Daniel prophesied the day after that decree comes, the time clock begins. The time clock begins. 
And this is when the countdown will start. So the decree will go forward. And then the next day, 173,880 days from that day, the Messiah is going to be revealed. That day was April the 6th, 32 A.D. Now listen to me. April the 6th, 32 A.D. was the very day that Jesus of Nazareth rode into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey as the people were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they're waving palm branches and they're shouting, save us, save us. And it goes all the way back to Nehemiah and Daniel and Nehemiah realizing his purpose and position. The prayer of favor opens closed doors. And this blows the minds of people who are watching your life. And they'll look at you and they'll say, how in the world did they get that promotion? How in the world are they succeeding? I'm more educated than they are. And yet they seem to be advancing. It's the favor of God. And favor is not fair. You see, God's got a plan and God's got a purpose. Let me explain to you how it works. God says, I have a plan and a purpose for such a time as this. So boom, there you go, baby girl. I'm going to give you some giftings and blessings that you don't deserve. I'm just going to drop them in your lap so that you can fulfill my plan in your life. By an upraised hand, how many people here know what it is just to have God drop something into your life? You don't know where it came from. You just take the blessing. You say, thank you, Lord. Come on, you need to shout amen for that. You say, thank you, God. I'll take that blessing. It just, just dropped into my life. See, those are the blessings and the giftings of God. You don't understand how it happened. It just came easy to you. God just dropped it into your lap. Other people are sweating and they're pushing and they're they can't seem to grasp it. All the doors are closed for them. But for you, it just comes easy. Those are gifts from God. You say, well, pastor, I don't know what my giftings are. Listen, your giftings are whatever comes easy. Your giftings are whatever comes easy. There are some, you know, that they wish they could sing like you can. But that's not their gift. So save the money that you're using for all the lessons and give it to missions. That's not your gift. When God wants to promote you, he doesn't stop and ask your boss, do you mind that I promote them? When God wants to bless you, he doesn't check with your family or your friends. He doesn't call the head of the denomination and ask permission. He doesn't say, hey, uh, would you mind if I just pour out revival and pour out the anointing in Valley Stream upon Bethlehem? No, he doesn't do that. He does what he wants to do because he's almighty God. He's all-knowing God. He's got a plan and a purpose. And if you believe he's in control, then I want you to clap your hands and praise him. He just does what he wants to do because he's God. So I want you to say with me, the prayer of favor opens closed doors. The prayer of favor opens closed. Say it again. The prayer of favor opens closed doors. And we need to understand that there is a correlation between the blessings of God and the purpose of God. Oh, don't miss it. See, as you walk with God and seek to be obedient to him, God will bless you for his purpose. Those blessings are uniquely yours. They belong only to you. They've been designed by God to uniquely fit who you are. 
God created your DNA. He created you wonderfully in your mother's womb. You've got giftings and talents and abilities that are created just for you to fulfill God's purpose and God's plan in your life. And God does not bless you so you can brag. He doesn't bless you so you can say, well, look how much better I am than you. No, God blesses you with an eternal purpose in mind, whatever the blessing is. See, there are people sitting here right now, you're amazingly gifted in administration, or you're amazingly gifted in business. It just comes easy. It just flows from you. There are some of you amazingly gifted and talented in teaching. It just flows easy. Do you think you have those gifts just because you have them? No, they're for the glory of God. There are some of you that are incredibly good-looking and talented like Pastor Steve. Amen. And then there are others. Pobrecito. Whatever it is, it doesn't make a difference what the blessing is. God has an eternal purpose and a plan. I have a friend in Springfield, Missouri. He's, he's amazingly gifted and talented when it comes to raising cattle. And I was sitting there talking with him, and he has his iPad. And, and Jeff is an amazingly, he just, his mind is, is just amazing. He's an orthodontist, but he's also a rancher, and he just has all these things going. And I looked at him. I said, hey, what are you doing? He said, I'm buying cattle. I said, you're what? He said, I'm buying cattle. And he's got it on his laptop. I said, well, don't you have to go out to the field and look at them? He said, oh, no, Randy, it's all built on algorithms and, and all kinds of things and, and heredity and DNA. Now, if it was me, I'd go out there and say, give me 25 fat ones over there, and I want 18 black ones. He goes, yeah, that works out for the temporary, but if you really want, and he started explaining to me, and I looked at him and said, that's your gift. God gave it to you for a purpose. He has a plan in mind and a purpose in mind. See, all of those blessings are tools to strategically maneuver you into a place of influence so God can fulfill his purpose in your life. And some of you will email me and you'll say, oh, pastor, please pray for me. I'm the only Christian on my job. And I'll say, duh, that's why you were there. You're the tip of the spear. And God has placed you there. See, influence comes from God. Influence comes from God. Just like Esther, just like Nehemiah, Daniel, David, Moses, God is placing you in positions of influence. Paul talks about the power to persuade or influence men's hearts. That power and that ability comes from God alone. So God gives you a purpose. God gives you the blessings and the talents and the abilities because he has a purpose in your life. Now listen to me. Here's where it gets prophetic. The enemy wants to steal the purpose. Notice he will never steal the blessing or the gifting. Remember the Bible says in James 1.17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variables or shadow of turning. Satan knows if he comes and he steals your gift, then you're immediately going to start praying and saying, Lord, what happened? And the Bible says God never takes the gifts of man. The gifts of God are without repentance. But the devil knows I can't let her operate in her giftings to fulfill her purpose. So what he does is he creates a train of thought that so fits your way of thinking. You suppose it comes to your own line of reasoning, and suddenly he convinces you to use your giftings for your own glory. 
You're gifted and talented financially, and you're blessed so that everyone will whisper, well, now you can't tithe. You worked hard for that money. You can't give over and above offerings. You've worked hard for that money. That money belongs to you. And you think it sounds so much like you're, you're the way you go, well, yeah, that's right. I have worked hard for that money. I'm not going to give that money. That They don't need that. It's not that God needs it. He wants you to trust him that you live on 90% and trust him for the 10. He's building your faith. But Satan will construct that train of thought. Man, you can sing. You are talented. You are gifted. Don't go singing in that church. They don't know who you. Come on now. Are you kidding me? Well, yeah. That's, just, that's right. I, I'm too good for that place. They don't know who I am. And suddenly Satan perverts the purpose. And what good is it to have the blessing if you've lost God's purpose in your life? I just explained to you why the Hollywood people are so messed up. They're searching. They're gifted, they're blessed, but they have no purpose. One of my favorite actors of all time was Robin Williams. I, Patch Adams, a great movie. I just love Robin Williams. I think he's the funniest, most talented man in the world. And I was blown away at the thought that he, was, that he committed suicide. I love his movie, Mrs. Doubtfire. It's a great movie. Mrs. Doubtfire reminds me of Pastor Henry. Yeah. They're looking at each other like, what? I wish I could grow a beard like Pastor Henry. He looks so cool. My face just looks dirty. You know, his looks, ooh. Like. But, and now, he doesn't remind me of Mrs. Doubtfire because the way he looks. But if you saw the movie, Mrs. Doubtfire was always running around trying to take care of everybody's needs. She was always meeting the need. Trying to make everybody happy, trying try to take counsel everybody. That's Pastor Henry. Thank God for Pastor Henry. Well, you didn't hear me. Somebody needs to clap your hands and thank God for Pastor Henry. Amazing a man of God. Yeah. Love that man. And I was so, thank you, I'm glad you do. And I was so blown away that Robin Williams committed suicide, I thought, how in the world can a multimillionaire, he's got the world by the tail, he is the Academy Awards, how can he commit suicide? Until one night I saw an interview that he had on late night television. It kind of gave us a glimpse into his life. Here's what Robin Williams said. Robin Williams sat there on The Tonight Show, and he said, I used to think the worst thing in life was to be all alone. It's not the worst thing in life. He said, no, the worst thing in life is to be with people who make you feel all alone. And the crowd waited for the punchline, and it never came. And anyone with any spiritual insight realized this gentleman is gifted, but he's lost his purpose. Don't let the devil steal your purpose. You didn't hear me. Don't let the devil steal your purpose. Sitting before me is so many giftings of God. Talent oozing. Don't let the devil steal your purpose. 
The blessings you have right now are for the glory of God. He's given them to you. And God didn't have to give you that position or job to feed you. God could have fed you without giving you that job. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. But he gave you that position and that place you are in for a purpose to glorify God. While speaking in a very large church in Arlington, Virginia, the pastor leans over to me and he says, hey, bro, I want to introduce you to the young lady leading worship after service. I said, all right, that's fine. And we go to the back room, and there she is with her husband, and he's a big old burly guy with a big beard, and her kids are running around, and she's probably about 110 pounds soaking wet. Long blonde hair, cute little thing, like a half pint. I mean, not even a full pint, just a half pint. And the pastor says, tell Brother Randy what you do for a living. She goes, oh, no, no. Yeah, yeah, tell him what you do for No, no. She looks over at her husband and goes, yeah, go ahead. She goes, okay. Well, I'm the head of the Secret Service team for Melania Trump. I said, get out of town. You're a tiny little... And her husband goes, yeah, but she's bad. <laughs> and she looks at me, and, and I'm, we're all laughing, and she says to me, Pastor, I really enjoyed your message. But do you know what I really enjoyed? I said, no, what did you really enjoy, sis? And she said, when you gave the altar call, 95% of our people ran to the altar, and you don't know them. But I do. She said, did you see that really big man over there in the second service, up against the wall with a big three-piece suit? I said, I mean, you mean the one that had arms like tree trunks? She said, yeah. I said, yeah, I want to be just like him. And she said, well, he's secret service, and he loves God. And then she started to go across the altar, naming the people that were there. This one is NSA. That one there was at the Pentagon, works for a five-star general. That one there was a general. This one was lieutenant colonel. And she started going all across. This one was and all these high positions in the government. And with tears flowing, she says, Pastor, don't use my name because then I'm a security risk. But I want you to tell the people all over America that God has his people positioned for such a time as this. Oh, come on, church. The purpose of God and the plan of God is a real thing. And she said, at any time, praise and worship breaks out in the hallways of the White House. She said, it's just spontaneous praise and worship just breaks out all over the White House. God has got his people, just like Nehemiah, just like Esther. But God is no respecter of person. He has placed you in a position for a purpose, and he's got a plan, whether it's to reach your children, whether it's to reach your grandchildren. Oh, come on, you can praise God for that. 2020 is the year of the presence of God in Bethlehem. Oh, you didn't hear me. I said 2020 is the year of the presence of God in Bethlehem. Holy Spirit, send the anointing. Holy Spirit, send the reign of God. But friend, the key is you have to be hungry for it. And if we are going to reach our highest potential this year and fulfill God's will in our lives, his mission for us, then we have to come to the understanding of the power of praying for God's favor. You have to develop and possess the same boldness like Nehemiah. Here's the eternal question. 
When is the last time you asked God to do something impossible or out of the ordinary in your life? Hear me again. When is the last time you asked God to do something impossible or out of the ordinary in your life? My dear friend, Pastor Stephen, I've been driving around the neighborhood, and he's been showing me the, and talking to me. This man's got more vision from God. It's, it's, it's mind-blowing. He's, he's got more anointing from God, and he's saying, Pastor, he's saying, Pastor Randy, we're going to do this. We're going to reach out here. We're going to reach out there. Those are impossible things without God. But when was the last time you asked God to do something impossible or out of the ordinary in your life? I believe one reason we don't see God do great things in the American church is that we only ask for small things. Most people pray over their food. They pray for protection. They ask God for wisdom. That is all good, but it's limiting the limitless Savior. In 2020, and should the Lord tarry in the years to follow, there should be something you are praying about and asking God for that's impossible, that's far out, something that you cannot achieve on your own. Listen, you, your dream may seem impossible. You may feel that you don't have the connections or the funding. But God is saying, dare to ask me to bring it to pass. Dare to ask me to connect you with the right people. Dare to ask me to flood you with my anointing and my gifting. Too many times we pray for small things. We pray, God, my child is making poor choices. Could you just turn them around? Listen, that's a good prayer. It's an ordinary prayer, but it's a good prayer. And how many times in the past have I told you ordinary prayers bring? Come on, ordinary prayers bring? Ordinary results. Ordinary prayers bring ordinary results. And I'm like you. I've got adult children, and I've prayed that prayer. Lord, my kids are knuckleheads. They're good kids, God, but they just... They just make sometimes some poor decisions. Anybody else have, don't make me feel like I'm out here alone. Right? And so you pray, Lord, can you just, I saw that right there. Knucklehead. Well, she just reminded me of a story. My son Quentin just graduated from the University of Arkansas in Fayetteville uh, with a business degree. and uh, He's got a bachelor's now in marketing and business. And just, he calls me and he goes, hey, Pop, we got a problem. Uh, we got a problem? He goes, yeah, we got a problem. I said, well, what's our problem? He said, well, the problem is I lost the keys to my truck. So I cut him off and said, no, we don't have a problem. You got a problem. And he goes, no, no, Dad, we got a problem. I said, Quentin, I'm telling you, we don't have a problem. You're 23 years old. You're about to graduate. You lost the keys. Bro, you got a problem. And he goes, no, Dad, the problem is I parked my truck in the wrong parking lot. I don't have the sticker for it. And they're going to tow my truck, and it's going to cost me $250, whatever it was, if I don't get it out. By I said, listen, I told you, you better get a little more, you know, some more tables at the little Italian restaurant that you're working at. He's a little waiter, you know. And I said, you better do that and get some money together. I don't got a problem. He goes, yeah, Dad, we got a problem. I said, no, mijo, you got the problem. And we're going back and forth. He goes, no, Dad, you don't understand. I said, what, son? He said, they said if I don't pay the $250, they're going to tack another $250. It'll be $500, and they're putting it on my school bill. We now have a problem. I was like, you knucklehead. You just reminded me of that when you pushed her in the head right there. I said, you knucklehead, why didn't you tell me? He said, I've been trying to tell you we had a problem. 
And then he hits me with this, but don't worry, mom and I got it all worked out. And I look over at my wife, and she is just loving it. She's laughing. I said, well, what have you worked out? She said, well, mom looked at your ministry schedule. And she said, you're driving to Tulsa. Now, I live in Springfield, Missouri, and Tulsa is like three hours west of us. And Fayetteville is two hours just uh, southwest. And so she said, my wife said, yeah, yeah, just tell dad if he gets up really, really early. He can drive an extra two and a half hours to Fayetteville, drop off the keys, and then drive on to Tulsa. It's only going to be another two and a half hours. So what's a five-hour drive? And I, th- I said, thanks, babe. So I got up really, really early, and I got in Shanita. Shanita is my truck. I call her Shanita because she's a 2003 Toyota Sequoia with 365,000 miles, and she need a lot of things. <laughs> she need a new tire. She need a new brakes. She need a new winch. Anybody else got a Shanita? <laughs> That's jacked up, man. And so me and Shanita are going down the highway. And I'm talking to God. I said, Lord, my son's a knucklehead, Lord. Lord, would you just help my son make better decisions? And the Holy Spirit will use the most practical things to teach you the most prophetic truth. Like when you knocked her in the head. That was wonderful. And the Holy Spirit whispered, mijo, because the Holy Spirit's Puerto Rican. He said, mijo. <laughs> You'll find out when you get to heaven. He said, is that all you want for your son to make better choices? And I'm driving down I-44, and the tears are just flowing. I said, well, no, Lord. So the Holy Spirit says, what do you really want? Remember, ordinary prayers bring ordinary prayers bring ordinary results. I said, well, God, I'm asking you not only to turn my son around and help him make better choices, but let him touch people all over the world. Let him be more of a threat to hell than hell is a threat to him. Lord, let him rise up with a prophetic unction upon him that he would speak forth the word of God. Lord, bring him a godly wife that's a tongue-talking, Bible-believing, overcoming child of God. Lord, let him shake the gates of hell that the gates of hell shall not prevail. Let him fulfill Acts the check the chapter that says your sons and daughters shall prophesy. If that is your prayer, somebody clap your hands and praise him that ordinary prayers are not good enough anymore. Oh, come on, Bethlehem, praise him. Ordinary prayers are not good enough for this church anymore. Let him touch people around the world. And the Lord will let me, he, the Lord let me pray like that for a while, and tears were flowing and mocos and everything, and it was... <laughs> and I'm driving. Thank God I didn't get in a crash, amen? And when I finished, the Holy Spirit said, then pray that way all the time. A prayer for God's favor is, Lord, I need you to move now. An ordinary prayer, God, just help me make it by this month. I know some of you pray that way. Lord, just help me make it by. Borrowing from Peter to pay Paul, amen? But you notice when you go to Paul, he's already been robbed. So you... <laughs> 
you got to go find Timothy or somebody. Nobody's answering the door. And you're juggling all the finances. And you say, Lord, can you just help me make it by this month? Help me pay the rent? Now, listen, that's an ordinary prayer. It's a good prayer. There's nothing wrong with that type of praying, especially when it's heartfelt. But a prayer for God's favor sounds something like this. God, I'm asking you to increase me in such a way that as I am obedient in my tithe and my offering, in my giving back to you, that you will bless me in such a way that I can not only pay off my house, but I can pay off my parents' house, that I can also give to world missions, that I can help our church begin to build a new sanctuary, that we can knock out the walls and create a bigger place. Oh, come on now. That's a prayer of favor. Say with me, the prayer for favor opens closed doors. The prayer for favor but the key is you have to know what you believe. You have to know what you believe. Let me tell you what I believe. And the moment you hear something you believe, then I want you to shout amen. And I don't do this just to elicit a response, but to let you know that there are people all around you that believe the same way you do. And when you hear something you believe, I want you to shout to God with a voice of triumph. I believe in God's written word. I believe in God's promises. I believe what God said is true. I believe in God the Father, the maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, who is our Lord and our Savior, who was conceived of the Holy Spirit. He was born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. I believe he descended into the gates of hell, and on the third day he rose again, and he's sitting at the right hand of God the Father. I believe in all 66 books of the Bible. I believe the time is coming when Jesus the Christ will come again. That is when he will judge the living and the dead whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life. I believe in the Holy Church. I believe in the communion of the saints. I believe in the millennial reign. I believe in the Holy Spirit who was sent from the Father to be the mirror image of Jesus Christ on planet Earth until he comes again. And I believe in my time I will hear the trumpet sound of God. The dead in Christ shall rise and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up in the air with King Jesus. If you believe like I do, somebody clap your hands and praise him just praise him <laughs> just praise him well I I want our musicians to come quickly I got to get you into this altar point number one the prayer for favor opens closed doors by an upraised hand how many say pastor we've got some closed doors that we need to pray for favor for point number two is the guys are coming I'll just touch on it because I don't have time to finish it. The prayer for favor places the hand of God on your life. Pastor Steve gave me one of the greatest compliments any minister could have when he said, the touch of God is on me. That's what I pray for. Nehemiah said in verse 8, and because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my request. Nehemiah, he paid the price in prayer for the hand of God to rest on him. And he did not leave his world the same way he found it. I challenge you to not leave your world the same way you found it. Don't pray ordinary prayers any longer. I love it when Nehemiah says, the gracious hand of the God was on me. In Luke chapter 4, verse 18, Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord is on me. 
That phrase defines a specific activity of the Holy Spirit's ministry. Pay very close attention. I'm about to explain to you how the power and the presence of God is going to begin to work in this church. Don't miss it. Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. It defines a specific activity of the Holy Spirit's ministry. Friends, when we are speaking about the anointing, we are describing the Holy Spirit making the presence of the Almighty God real in the average person or the average place. Hear it again. When we speak about the anointing, the anointing is the personality of the Holy Spirit. And when we speak about the anointing, when you say that person's anointed, what you are saying is the personality of Jesus or the very Holy Spirit that lives within them came up on them and we didn't see them we saw Jesus. That's why when some people lay hands upon you, your knees buckle. Because they paid the price for the anointing of God. And it's a tangible anointing that rises from within them, upon them. And you don't feel their touch. It's the Holy Spirit. Jesus goes on to explain the purpose of the blessing or why the Spirit of the Lord was on him in Luke 4. Verse 18, he says, he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has set me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Listen now, there was a reason for the blessing. There was a reason for the spiritual giftings. And I don't have time to get into the nine spiritual gifts, fruits of the spirit, the gifts of the spirit but there's a reason God gives them. Jesus was setting an example on how we are to operate in this world. It was time for his active ministry to begin and there was a transferring of the Holy Spirit from within him upon him. On your day of salvation, you receive the Holy Spirit who comes to live with inside of you. When it's time for ministry, when it's time to be used by God, there has to be a transference of the Holy Spirit from within you, upon you. You become that Ark of the Covenant we talked about this morning. And when that presence of God comes upon you, your knees will buckle a little. It's called the fear of the Lord. Pastor and I have been talking about it. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But the fear of the Lord is not a fear that God is going to kill you. It's not a fear that God is going to come out of heaven with a big hammer. You see, I fear my wife. Any other men fear your wives? You all better raise your hand. And it's not a fear that she could beat me up. She probably could. But you see, it's a fear that I'm going to hurt her or grieve her. The fear of the Lord is a deep and unfathomable love for Jesus with an even deeper hatred for sin. Hear it again. The fear of the Lord is a deep and unfathomable love for Jesus with an even deeper hatred for sin. The Bible says, if you love me, feed my sheep. But you have to hate what I hate and love what I love. And the fear of the Lord is a deep love for Jesus with an even deeper hatred for sin. I fear my wife. I fear that I could grieve her or hurt her. So I never make her the brunt of any jokes. I'm always highly esteeming her, lifting her up in the eyes of our children. And she's told me many, many times, 
She said, babe, the reason that I can honor your public ministry, I've seen the integrity of your private ministry for 31 years. And so it is with the Holy Spirit. I fear him. It's not should I smoke, but why I don't. It's not should I drink, but why I don't. It's not should I go see that movie, but why I don't. And the reason I don't is I'm protecting the same power that raised Christ from the dead. It's living with inside of me that at any moment he can call on me for the transference of that anointing to come rising up and rest upon me because somebody on that train that you're sitting next to needs you to put your hand upon them and pray a prayer of deliverance because he's given you giftings and abilities for his purpose and his glory so you protect his anointing that energizes those giftings and abilities. He's given you the position so that you can advance the kingdom of God and you protect the anointing of the Holy Spirit in your life so that when you stand up to sing and play and begin to leave, there's an anointing. It's just not that you're talented. It's just that you're gifted. There's an anointing from heaven. Listen, I've been doing this a long time, and I've sang on Christian television, been for the President of the United States at the inaugural service of President Bush, and there's a difference between those who just sing and those who sing, and they're anointed. Don't let the devil steal your purpose and when the transference takes place from within you to upon you there's an overlording or overpowering of any other thing that would seek to hinder or dominate that situation through the anointing of the Holy Spirit the kingdom of heaven is being made manifest to the average person or the average place so his presence on you overlords demons and drives them out his presence on you overlords sickness and causes health to flow. His presence on you overlords confusion and brings peace. His presence on you overlords fear and brings hope. Oh, friends, do you agree with me? That we need the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, flowing through our life on a daily basis and praying for the prayer of favor. How many tonight would say, Pastor, I need a favor from God. I need some open doors. These that are closed, I need some doors to be open. I need the healing power. Pastor Tony's wife needs a healing. We need to pray the healing power of God to touch her kidneys. If we really say we believe how we believe, then we got to stop praying ordinary prayers. If you believe like I do then I want you to get ready for the manifest presence of the anointing of God to fill this place. I want you to stand and lift your hands and ask the Holy Spirit to put a big old comfy chair down right here. Lord, kick up your feet and we lift our hands. I want you to begin right now to say, Lord, use me. Use me. I want the benefits of the anointing and the objective of the anointing, the power and the presence of God to fill my life.